Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, this is LD with Rock and Roll Heaven. Just a quick note, this episode is explicit in every way possible. Listener discretion is advised. So please, no little ears on this episode. And if you need to check us out next week, it's probably not going to get any better. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I'm your very sick host, LD. Along with me for the ride is my just about as sick as I am co-host, Mr. Will the Thrill. I think you're all wondering why the part of LD tonight is played by Harvey Firestein, so there's your answer. That I say greetings and salutations. You can't stop the beat. <laughs> oh nice in a glass. Yes, so we're going to try to... Help LD save what's left of her voice. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. There you go. This is great. And then our storyteller this week is Mr. TJ Do the Deuce. And uh, ah, coffee and tea. Got my caffeine hot and cold. And it's great to have great Tom White on the podcast I with us. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. Is that good? Is yeah, that, good? that was that was killer. <laughs> Welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians and gargle with sandpaper. <laughs> yes. I'm really like I was shooting for Janis Joplin and I landed on like Tom like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere around B. Arthur, I think. It's it's past B. Arthur. We we're well past B. Arthur. This is not yeah, even B. B. Arthur with bronchitis. <laughs> yeah, I feel like crap. I don't know how you can be hot and cold at the same time, but I've done it. I've managed to do it. That's uh, that's not a fun place to be. Not at all. No, it's not. And an even less fun place to be is bringing you guys the news that you probably well know right now. I'm, I believe that like I posted on our Facebook page and Thea posted and I'm, I'm pretty sure every person that was involved in this podcast posted on Facebook about the great Tina Turner passing away. Yeah, that was a sad one. That yeah. one hurt. That one hurt. All-timer. Yeah. What a queen she was, dude. She, somebody might end up calling an audible because she was a badass. Like, she, she was one of the greats. Just 
She was, and if all that was in her legacy was what she did with Ike, she would be an all-timer. If it was just her solo career, she would be an all-timer. But when you combine all the struggles that she faced very, I mean, very forthrightly, strongly, publicly, which not a lot of people did at the time, she's just a trailblazer in every respect. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, she shows up in today's episode, and that was not planned. That's just kismet? It's just, it's just, Crazy. just happenstance. For sure. And if you're interested in about her life, you know, in about learning about her life, there is a great documentary, I believe, on Max now. And it's just called either Tina or Tina Turner. And we're hoping to hunker down and watch that. But from what I understand, it's it's a great documentary. And of course, Angela Bassett played her in the film What's Love Got to Do With It, which was amazing. So she's she had an incredible life and holy cow i'm i hate to objectify women because not you guys know i'm an incredible feminist but she had legs for days indeed no argument there weren't they insured by lloyds of london it would not shock i'm sure they were yeah am i making that up i don't think i am i don't if you if you literally made that up i would still believe you Mm -hmm. but yeah that one there used to be a pop-up video for what's love got to do with it oh i love that pop-up video man she was she was just everything she was everything, and we really lost someone incredible. So, um, but from what I understand, she's been sick for a very long time. Yes, yeah. Apparently, kept, she kept had. it quiet too. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that we've missed a couple of people in the the absence of us being relatively live. Yeah, we've had a little bit of a, a break in terms of recording. We you know we still had an episode drop last week, but it was it had actually been recorded a couple of weeks ago. Actually, literally an hour or so before we took to recording here, I saw that. Blackie Onassis, the former drummer for Urge Overkill, is uh, passed away at a fairly young age. I think he was just in his fifties. Oh my oh, god! No, he he yeah. was young. Yeah, that sucks. Man, everything sucks right now. This is just a sucky. It's a Wednesday. That's why it's Wednesday. Also, what worries me is my brother has coffee, and it's like eight o'clock at night. We're recording this at eight o'clock on a Wednesday, and he's drinking mm-hmm. coffee. Sure. Are. Oh God, this is either going to go really good or really bad. So. I think this is the perfect spot for us to take our first sponsor break, and we will be right back to take on Waylon Jennings Part 8, 7, wherever. I don't know where I'm at. I anymore. think we're at 8. We'll be right back, guys. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. All right, we're back. TJ, I'm going to hand the reins over to you, and I'm going to go gargle some more glass. Thank you, Kathleen Turner. All right, so obviously LD is going to be a minimal participant <laughs> in this episode, understandably, so going to be kind of a sausage party, eh, Will? Uh, yep, it's a, st- it's a stag party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Now, in our last episode on the great Waylon Jennings, Ole Hoss almost single-handedly broke RCA's back and their stronghold on artists. He fought for his friend Willie Nelson's Red-Headed Stranger album to be released as is, and he holed up in Hillbilly Central to record his two most popular albums to date. He also got inspired to write a song while he was driving his car, and that's where we picked things up. Waylon said that even though he'd been gone for two decades, Hank Williams was still a giant figure in country music. Quote, we were all standing in his tall, lanky shadow, Waylon said. He set the bar. His poetic lyrics had a sphere of influence that went well beyond country music. He helped perfect the genre, frankly, and everyone was pretty much judged against him. Quote, if I had an outlaw hero, someone to set my standard and measure my progress, it was Hank Williams, Whalen said. Obviously, Hank was the biggest star country music had ever had to that point. He was a masterful songwriter and had as classic a country voice as there's probably ever been. But there was a lot more to Hank, and living up to his wild reputation off the stage was as tough as living up to his musical reputation on it. I think it's pretty common knowledge he dealt with crippling pain from spina bifida that led him to self-medicate with copious amounts of alcohol, pills, and morphine. I'm pretty sure that's not how you get that better, I'm going to say, from one sick person to another. I don't think that's how you have you Have you, I mean, have you tried? Do you have any morphine? I can't imagine making it worse. Hey, hey, honey, can you go to Kroger and see if they've got any morphine? I think it's in the baked goods. I'll take a look. Mm, Makes sense. Hank would go on day-long booze and pill rages and still show up and put on the best show anyone ever heard. Or maybe he wouldn't show up at all. He might have dragged a jukebox out of a restaurant on one occasion, drew his pistol, and shot it full of holes because it did not feature any of his records. (laughs) Amazing. That's the thing that he did. Waylon said that Hank loved his wife, Audrey, but he was also a complete hound on the road. To that end, Hank once met the new girlfriend of singer Farron Young, a woman named Billie Jean. If what I've read in multiple places was correct, within a few minutes of meeting her, Hank pulled a loaded gun out of his pocket, put it to Farron Young's head, cocked it, and said, quote, boy, I love that woman. Now you can either give her to me or I'm going to kill you. Holy hell. Yeah. Farron was so in awe of Hank and probably also so scared shitless that he not only, quote, gave her to him, he drove Hank's Cadillac around while Hank gave Billie Jean a good boning in the backseat. How charitable. Which has happened, like, multiple times in this series. Yeah, I mean, the cars in this in this series are really some key locations for Yeah, there's a lot of pie playing in the backseat yeah. in this series, I've noticed as we pr- progress here. Gives quick lube a new meaning. <laughs> yeah, see what I did there? 
It's funny. Hey, I'll give you a five-minute oil change. But the oil changes are for your car. Gear shift, gear shift, gear shift. Sex jokes. That's not the parking brake, honey. Okay. Apparently, Farron did contemplate how all-time classic it would be in country lore for him to be murdered by the great Hank. To be fair, yes, it would be. I mean, you'd never forget you'd never forget old Farron nope. at that point. Nope. Um, but anyway, your cheating heart and other songs of the like might actually have been Hank singing about himself or his wife Audrey, who Waylon said had a number of boyfriends on the side as well. Now, Hank actually married Billie Jean on stage in front of a crowd of fourteen thousand people in Louisiana, but. During the nuptials, he apparently looked at a member of his band and told him that Audrey would be in town to pick him up the next day. And there was a legal fight after he died that I think ended up having the marriage annulled because technically his divorce wasn't officially final or, or some such. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. But Waylon said he actually believed that Hank and Audrey loved each other, though. But Hank had a lot of problems that included being banned from the Opry. And there is a very famous picture taken of a skinny shirtless Hank at the time being arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct after he suffered what were called, quote, the DTs, in which he was screaming that someone was, quote, whipping old ladies and that he intended to stop them. That's very in line with the great Randy Travis, is it not? That's normal. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why I even mentioned it. I mean, this is just a normal thing, right? I mean, one would imagine. Yeah. It happens to I mean, me every take- Thursday. I mean, you knock down some morphine and Jack Daniels and some random pills you score from a truck stop and scream about the fictional old ladies being whipped while you run around shaking shirtless uh, in somebody's front yard. I mean, I've done that. I I did that yesterday. TJ, Uh remember me and Will's wedding? Do you really want to bring that up? Okay, let's move on. (laughs) Quote, we wanted to be like him, romanticizing his faults, fantasizing ourselves lying in a hotel room sick, and going on to saying, racked with pain, a wild man running loose, even if it meant dying in the backseat of a Cadillac. That was part of being a legend, Waylon said. Now, Waylon had befriended Hank's only son, Hank Jr., by this time. And at that, this point, audiences essentially wanted him to just play his daddy's music. Now, he didn't mind honoring that legacy, but he also wanted to blaze his own trail. Waylon sympathized with that situation and took Hank Jr. out on the road with him when he was a teenager. Before he did, though, something had to be cleared up. Waylon told Hank Jr. that contrary to a very persistent rumor, he never had sex with Audrey Williams. <laughs> I didn't your mom, or didn't, I guess, in this case. He wrote in his book that that seemed to have been offered to him at one time. Audrey apparently told Waylon that he reminded her an awful lot of Hank, but that it happened. He did attend a party at her house, though, and he went to where the Cadillac Hank died was parked. Waylon said that he laid in the back seat right where Hank would have died. So he did do that, but he didn't have sex with Hank Jr.'s mom. And I do believe that the Austin Lounge Lizards did a tribute to that in the car Hank died in, no? I believe so. And then I want to ride in the car Hank died yeah, in. You're correct. Yes, that is right. And then my late buddy, Peter Cooper, who, who I mentioned passed away last year, songwriter and journalist. He actually, I think, recreated Hank's final um, ride oh, wow. and did a story about it at one point. Um, in case you're wondering, Waylon also did meet Billie Jean on one occasion. Now, Billie Jean's story is that she gave birth to Hank's daughter five days after Hank died. That daughter was then raised by Hank's mother, but she then became a ward of the state when her grandmother died. And she ended up winning a court case in 1985 to have her legally declared to be Hank's daughter. 
Anyway, after Hank died, Billie Jean married country singer Johnny Horton, who subsequently died in a car wreck. She ended up coaxing mutual friend, songwriter Harlan Howard, into taking her to Waylon's office. They chatted, and she asked Waylon what he would be doing later. Quote, look, lady, you killed Hank Williams, you killed Johnny Horton, and you stunted Farron Young's growth, so you just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Saying it like it is. He said that uh, they, they, they both laughed. He said he, he laughed a little nervously because he didn't know how she was going to take that. But anyway, Hank Jr. actually gave Waylon a pair of his dad's old cowboy boots, and Waylon wore them to the studio on a couple of occasions. On one occasion when he did, lightning struck a tree outside and sent a large limb crashing down on his car. What? I'm gonna ask another you, instance, I'm gonna ask you something real quick. Again, do uh-huh. we have another life written by Mad Libs? That seems very much how this is going. Like name catastrophe, name vice, name random yeah. celebrity. Name. No. And then there's random your celebrity. Proper noun. Mention verb here. Um on another occasion when he wore Hank's boots to the studio, lightning actually struck the building fried some equipment and melted a tape of a song that they were working on at the time. So, so cursed. These boots are cursed. Yeah. So he was told to stop wearing the boots to the studio and he did. Dude, I don't feel like you need to tell somebody to like, if a tape is melted and a tree is struck, maybe you should pick up on that yourself. Like maybe, maybe, I was going to say, maybe wear some Pumas. Yeah. Do do you have any Chico's loafers? Have you a pair of Skechers, Waylon? Do you have anything else other than the cursed pair of boots? Yes, yes, something other than the cursed cowboy boots. Some BKs, perhaps. Anything. Do you have the Reebok pumps? Crocs. Do you have Crocs? Anything. Does Shooter have a pair of Airwalks you could borrow? (laughs) (laughs) But whenever a bus broke down or a brawl broke out in a concert, Waylon would often mockingly ask his band members, quote, did Hank do it this way? So with all that as backdrop, combined with his disdain for the powers that be in Nashville, we go back to Waylon scribbling lyrics on an envelope while he drove. He took them right back to the studio. Drummer Richie Albright, quote, turned the beat around completely. And his producer, who we'll talk about at length in just a minute, came up with an inventive way of blending guitar sounds. It is a classic. It's an ode to the great Hank, and it's a scathing rebuke of Nashville, all delivered in less than three minutes. We're going to hear that song now. This is Waylon with the number one country hit, Are You Sure Hank Done It This Way?
away now. I don't think Hank done them this way. Take it on. We're back. Yes, sir. Okay. Lord, I've seen the world with a five-piece mm. band looking at the backside of me. Let me just Love tell that you, song. That, that sounds like a 1980s montage <laughs> in a country music movie. Now, what's interesting is I thought, TJ, correct me on this one, that that was a Highwaymen song. The Highwaymen did, did cover it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yep, you can find a version of... A live version. I don't know if they did it a studio cut on it or not, but they definitely covered it for sure. I think that's the version I remember, not the one we just heard. I think okay. I remember the Highwayman version versus yeah, they, 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 they did version. cover they did cover that one. And and an observation from a guitar hobbyist as I I am, uh, this song's only two chords, and it sounds to me like he might be using an alternate tuning, like a drop D or something, because there's just something in the tone. Like you said, you know, there was some interesting guitar engineering going on, and maybe it was one of the guitars in alternate tuning. That's just what I'm picking up. Yeah. And again, I'm not a musician. I can't speak with any <laughs> any degree of intelligence on that. But he, he That's what in his autobiography, like. he talks a little bit about it. But again, that a lot of the musical stuff goes over my head. So, but yeah, lo- I love that song. And that's... Uh, uh, a big number one hit for him. And that song enjoyed popularity well beyond its initial release. It has been covered by Clint Black, who actually changed it to, are you sure Waylon done it this way? And right. Waylon actually appeared on that version. It's also been recorded by Alabama, Pat Green, Corey Morrow, Robert Earl Keane, Hank Jr., The Mavericks, and believe it or not, it was covered by Morrissey. Oh my. Okay, and this is a- this is going to make me lose some listeners. <laughs> Which of I- these things just... <laughs> I don't like Morrissey. I think he's a whiny baby. Well, the funny thing is, it's an amazingly faithful remake. He didn't do anything weird to it. He just he he just sings it That's straight. That's fine, but he's still a whiny baby. Yeah, like well, I don't. I, he's no Phil Collins. Don't get me wrong, but like I just don't like him. I hate. I'm sorry, guys. If you if you disagree, if you love Morrissey, to each his own. I mean, I really like the Sponge Monkeys as the harbingers of Quiznos subs so to each his own okay so if you had to go to either a phil collins or morrissey concert ld which one would you go to i mean who's paying for it they're free tickets uh can i like have bamboo shoots driven into my fingernails instead (laughs) and i wish we knew how you really feel you know what you know what here's the thing all right not to get into a long drawn out story because nobody wants to listen to my voice right now but uh, i always said even if somebody handed me tickets to you two i probably wouldn't go but then one day someone actually did hand me tickets to YouTube. That was an awesome show. And it was amazing. So who knows? I could go to a Morrissey concert and be blown away. So I would say if I would definitely take Phil Collins in that scenario. Morrissey, Morrissey's music is not my cup of tea. And I didn't like the Smiths either. Just just didn't. Sorry. Um, and this is a little more up your alley, Will. That song was apparently also featured in Grand Theft Auto 5. Really? 
both in the trailer and on the game's uh, in-game da, radio da, station, da, da. Rebel oh, Radio. Da, da, da. I watch trailer again. Excuse me. Excuse me. GTA is not Will's game. GTA is my game. Is it? GTA Vice City is one of the best games ever. It's one no of argument there. Favorite game of all time. Like, it's literally my top five favorite games of all time. Because, listen, all right, we already have the parental warning. So what I'm about to say, I can say, there is nothing better than picking up a sex worker, having your health restored, dropping her off, you know, like running. I can stack boats. I can stack boats onto the airport runway and then steal a car and jump that car over my stack of boats. Like that, that is, that's a game. That was more Elder Scrolls Dragon. JLD is running over sex workers in a car. I like them. I like things with power pellets and floating pretzels. Those are the basics, man. Those are the hard to master ones. That's more my jam. There's nothing wrong with that. But seriously, like sometimes if I just, I'm having a bad day, I want to listen to Flock of Seagulls while getting my car painted because I'm running from the cops. Okay? Just saying. Well, on top of that, I can offer a fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. Are you sure Hank Done It This Way was the last song I sang at uh, karaoke? Like about, ever? About two or three years ago. The last time that I sang it, yeah. Okay. All right. So have, the you, next... have you announced retirement yet or no? Yeah, the next the next time we see each other, oh, there will be karaoke. I'll tell you mm. what, TJ, here's the thing. I'll tell you what. If me and you go sing karaoke, I will have a shot of whiskey if you sing. Okay. Yeah. Keep the voice that you that you're holding uh, that you got right now, and you can do "I Walk the Line" dead on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Natasha Leone. <laughs> yeah. Ipso facto, it's mine. perfect. I walk the line. I love Natasha Leone. Alrighty, Waylon had always admired the work of producer Cowboy Jack Clement, dating back to when he produced many memorable songs for Sun Records. He'd always wanted to work with him, and as luck would have it, Jack married Jesse Coulter's sister, so the two became brothers-in-law. Now, like all good producers that we have discussed over the years, he had some tricks of the trade in the studio. For one thing, he did not allow musicians to wear headphones during recording because he felt that they would get lost in their own world. He wanted them immersed in the sound in the room, riffing off other musicians. In fact, he didn't even like the words headphones or earphones to be used. He tried to create the vibe of a live show in the studio. Waylon said he saw an album as a piece and he wanted it to flow from the very first note all the way through to the fade out of the final song. He would also dance in the studio, and he had an ability to get guys to play things that they didn't think they could. Rather hilariously, he worked with Willie Nelson on one occasion. The two apparently had a mild disagreement, which led Willie to say, quote, fuck you, Jack, and walk out. Once Willie walked out, he laughed and said that he'd always wanted to say fuck you, Jack, to someone actually named Jack. (laughs) I can totally picture that. We all have goals. So Jack would work with Waylon on his next album, and he did so for a really long time. They worked off and on on it for months, which drove RCA crazy since they were accustomed to having artists go into the studio, cut an album in a week, and crank out two or three a year. They took their time, though. Some overdubs would be added later, but most of the material was recorded live on the floor with Waylon singing and playing lead guitar, Richie Albright on drums, Duke Goff on bass, and Ralph Mooney on steel guitar. Mooney fit right in with Waylon, by the way. He's somebody we really haven't mentioned before. He was a great player, but he seemed cut from Waylon's cloth. Waylon recounted that Ralph was once on a plane with a fiddler named Johnny Gimble. Gimble came up, introduced himself, and told Mooney that he really admired his playing. Quote, 
Oh, fuck you, said a very drunk Mooney. <laughs> About a year later, they were both playing on Wayland's session together, and Gimbel asked what he'd meant on that airplane when he said, I'll fuck you. Quote, don't you know what I meant by that, Mooney said? I meant, I'll fuck you. <laughs> As advertised. Yep. Uh, now, Waylon liked Cowboy Jack a lot, and Jack liked, quote, Bubba, as he called Waylon, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't tension occasionally. Waylon was working on a song, but said Jack atypically had a bunch of people in the studio. Jesse and her sister were chatting. The group was laughing and carrying on, and Jack kept hitting the talkback button. Waylon couldn't concentrate, saying it sounded like a bunch of turkeys gobbling, and he finally got fed up. Quote, everybody go home. It's all over, Waylon announced. Quote, Bubba, artists don't call off sessions. Producers do, Jack said. And, of course, that made Waylon livid. Not this time, Jack. The session's over today. It's over tomorrow, too, Waylon said as he stormed out. In fact, it was over for two solid weeks before Waylon and Jesse finally went over to Jack's house for dinner. Jack asked Waylon if they were ever going to get back in the studio and finish the album, which they'd already put a lot of time into. Quote, this is going to sound funny coming from me, Jack, but you have to straighten up, Waylon said. There ain't room but for one crazy person in there, one wild man, and that's me. So they did. But they never got a better version of the song that they were working on than the one during which Waylon got so angry he ended the recording session. So you'll notice that unlike most of the songs we have played lately, this song ends very abruptly. This could likely have been a big hit, except for one problem. This Waylon co-pen ditty has one of the straight-up filthiest lines you would likely have ever heard in a country song at the time. Had he just tucked it discreetly in the middle of a verse, maybe nobody would have noticed. But he was apparently so pleased with it that he says it, and then he says it two more times. <laughs> so it's pretty hard to miss. We'll let you pick out that line as you listen to it. This is Waylon with Waymore's Blues. She 
look like a place I came in. Look like a place I came in. Yeah. We are back in a wow. That was a, that was allowed on m- music. That was Bowdy. Yes, quite. That one didn't get the didn't get much right for <laughs> very obvious reasons. Well, just first of all, thoughts. I mean, for me, it sounds like the theme song to the Dukes of Hazard. A little, I could say Got that. A feel, yeah, like the intro. Yeah, maybe. but I liked it. I like. Yeah, I, it's good classic country. Like nailed it. No notes. It's like classic. And you can lose country. And also, you can hear the very abrupt ending, too, because every other song last week, you were like, I don't know when these songs end. <laughs> they fade into oblivion for, for forever. Hey, TJ, I'm sorry to put the brakes on this crazy train, but we're going to take a moment to acknowledge the fine people that sponsor this show. Hey, folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. All right, we're back. Double barrels of wailing all up in your face, Hoss. It's like 12, 12 hours later, you're like, is the song done? You're like, nope, I can still hear the slide oh, guitar. Nope, still fading yeah. out. Okay. Going right. on. Well, I'm going to go eat some breakfast. And... I am old. Yeah. You can find a video on YouTube of Waylon singing that song with his wife, Jesse Coulter, by his side. And after he sings the line, every woman she sees looks like a place I came in. He grins, looks at her and says, artistic license. <laughs> nice. But, but not really. Anyway, the months of work on the album that that song was featured on, which would be called Dreaming My Dreams, would prove more than worth the wait. The album became Waylon's first to hit number one on the country album charts. It was a big critical success, too, with all music giving it a five-star review. A review in Billboard magazine said, quote, the show belongs to Jennings's powerfully distinctive voice and the excellent production of the artist and Jack Clement and praised the songs as, quote, a solid mix of ballad and rockers some straight country, and lots that cannot be classified. Stereo Review called Waylon, quote, one of the rare good singers capable of playing his own lead guitar, and Rolling Stone called him, quote, an ultimate performer. He won Male Vocalist of the Year at the CMAs, and he started to get attention outside the normal country music publications. Suddenly, Rolling Stone, People, Playboy, Penthouse, the New York Times, the LA Times, and other big publications began featuring Waylon, Willie and the Redneck Rock or Outlaw Country scene. There was an organic buzz created nationwide that reinforced Waylon's belief that he and the other outlaws didn't need Nashville anymore. Nashville needed them. Then there were the record sales. 
Now, I mentioned in previous episodes that country was not a really big album-oriented format at the time. Singles sold well, but most albums sold between 50 and 100,000 copies. And if you managed to creep very far into six figures in terms of sales, you had a big hit on your hands. Well, Dream of My Dreams did considerably better than that, being certified as gold for sales of over 500,000 copies. And that was Waylon's first gold record. That started a remarkable run. I want y'all to really think about this, uh, how extraordinary this is. Over the next eight years, Waylon would release 14 albums that would go either gold or platinum. 14 in eight years, almost two a year. That is, yeah. Let's, okay, do we know what the standard for gold is? I know we've talked about it before, but do you know what the standard is? 500,000. Platinum's a million, and then they have a diamond certification now for 10 million plus. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that is an accomplishment for anybody. So, yeah. Well, because first of all, most people didn't release that many albums in that length of time, just for starters. And then to be that consistently popular and consistently sell that well is really something. It had taken nine years and 22 albums, but Waylon had conquered Nashville. He beat them. He broke the back of the label system of exploiting artists. He fought for creative freedom. He did things his way, and he was now the biggest country star in America. His record company had not even wanted to release his Honky Tonk Heroes album and spent little time or money promoting Waylon's work, but now it behooved them financially to get on board. Executive Jerry Bradley and Waylon had had some knockdown dragout fights, as we have previously documented, but Bradley was smart enough to know that, A, he had lost, and B, he had something big on his hands. So he decided to not only go with it, he decided to go all in. Quote, suddenly he was pushing the bandwagon, Waylon said. Obviously, a lot of new fans were being drawn into country in large part because of Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson. So Bradley had an idea to capitalize on that. It would be essentially a sampler platter of outlaw country, a multi-artist record of mostly previously released songs to both introduce fans to this new brand of music, but also to cash in on its popularity. Quote, all the pieces were there, Bradley said. Waylon, Willie, Jesse, great songs, outlaw. I had the artist out there just raising hell, so what better name was there? Waylon agreed to help produce the record, but he demanded that his friend, Tom Paul Glazer, be included. Bradley originally envisioned it being Waylon, Willie, and Jesse. Now, if you think back, you'll remember that not long after Waylon met Jesse, he just up and disappeared for several months. And I told you then that she wrote a song that was basically a plea for him to come back. That song was called You Mean to Say, and it would be featured on this album. I also told you that Waylon penned a song about her. And it's interesting that we should hit this story right now, given recent events. But at some point, Waylon saw either an advertisement or a story in a newspaper about the great Tina Turner and her former husband, Ike, that used the phrase, a good-hearted woman and a two-timing man. That line stuck in Waylon's head, and he wrote most of a song based on that. He wanted some help finishing it, though, from his pal Willie. The two were in the middle of a poker game in a hotel room when they sat out a few hands to polish it off. Now, Willie recollects that he really only added about one line, but Waylon still gave him full co-writing credit. Quote, we lost our ass in that poker game, but we got a pretty good song out of it, Waylon said. And that is a huge understatement. Most people probably don't realize that the version of this song by Waylon and Willie wasn't the first version. For one thing, Charlie Pride said that Waylon actually offered the song to him first. 
Waylon then recorded a solo version of it and made it the title track of a 1972 album, and it hit number three on the country charts. For this new Outlaw Sampler album, though, he had Willie sing some of the song, and he turned it into a duet. Now, there was speculation that the crowd noise you hear in the background of this was added in, but Nick Potosky's memoir, Willie Nelson, details that Nelson's vocals were overdubbed onto an actual live version of the song, one that was apparently released on the Waylon Live album. Hey, uh, TJ, you just what? you called it a memoir. Memoir. You got, you got all fancy with your words. Are you French? Nick Potosky's memoir, Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're in France. Fromage. And the last of our French listeners have just checked out. I'm so sorry to our I would take you to the Apple Tower. Okay. Now, you can listen to the lyrics and tell pretty obviously that the song is autobiographical anyway. But in a documentary on the making of this album, Shooter Jennings acknowledged that it was about his mom, Jesse Coulter, and his dad, Waylon Jennings. Publicist, journalist, and Hillbilly Central Den mother, Hazel Smith, said of it, quote, What better written song have you ever heard in your life? It's regarded as a classic and makes essentially every list put together of the greatest country songs of all times. So we're going to hear it right now. This is Waylon and Willie with a song that hit number one on the country charts and stayed there for three weeks and crossed over to the pop charts as well, hitting number 25. This is Good Hearted Woman. A long time forgotten Dreams that just fell by the way The good life he promised Ain't what she's living today Really? But she never complains Of the bad times Or the bad things he's done long She just talks about the good times they've had and all the good times to come. She's a good-hearted woman in love with a good time and man. She loves him in spite of his ways. Teardrops and laughter that pass through this world hand in hand. A good hearted woman loving a good time. He likes the bright lights and nightlife and good time and friends. And when the party's all over, She'll welcome him back home again Lord knows she don't understand him But she does the best that she can Now this a good-hearted woman Loving a good-time man She's a good-hearted woman
woman Loving a good tiring man Yeah, so that one just ended. But yeah. I mean, that is that is just an iconic duo. Yeah. And that is I think Hazel Smith's right. That's about as well written a country song as you can have, pretty much. It's almost textbook. And it's very obviously autobiographical <laughs> since Waylon wrote it. It's pretty much him, you know almost him telling uh, Jesse, Hey, sorry. Yeah, whoopsie. But yeah, that's absolutely classic that's 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 one of my favorites uh, of theirs and on that and in, in just in general just terrifically written wonderfully sung they're, they're the two of them just meld together so well and will again many more times before we're through with this so anyway now i mentioned as we led into that song that the title was actually inspired by something Waylon read about tina turner and in case you were wondering tina turner did cover that song later on did she yes I think she did an album where she covered a bunch of country songs. Okay. And that was one of them. I think she actually covered two Waylon songs on that album, if I remember correctly. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll post one of those on our socials after this episode drops for uh, people to hear if they're not familiar with it. The album would also feature a freshened up version of Waylon singing the Billy Joe Shaver song, Honky Tonk Heroes, the original version of which we heard two episodes back and Waylon and Jesse duetting on Suspicious Minds, uh, which was a slightly reworked version of a song that they'd actually cut and released five years earlier. There were three reworked or remixed Willie Nelson songs, including Heaven or Hell, Me and Paul, and Yesterday's Wine. The album only featured four previously unreleased tracks. It had Waylon's version of the song My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys, Jesse's I'm Looking for Blue Eyes, and two songs from Tom Paul Glazer. He contributed a remake of the Jimmy Rogers song, T for Texas, Waylon's live version of which we heard many, many moons ago, back in episode one of the series. And Tom Paul also cut Put Another Log on the Fire, which is parenthetically titled Male Chauvinist National Anthem. It was written by the great (laughs) Shel Silverstein. Waylon said he was glad they put one of Shel's songs on the album because everyone regarded him as an unofficial outlaw. So... This album was the perfect outlaw country mix. There were cowboy songs, drinking songs, heartbreak songs, a classic country cover, and a little bit of comic relief. The final touch was how it would be packaged and presented. If this was to introduce listeners to something new and different, it couldn't be the same old tired album cover that just showed a picture of the artists. Bradley actually had a good idea. He had subscribed to a Time Life series on the Wild West, And in one of those books, he saw a yellowed, tattered, Wild West wanted poster. He took it to RCA's art uh, department and said, quote, put Waylon and Willie right there. Eventually, Jesse and Tom Paul's pictures were added as well. Quote, we looked like tramps. Don't F with me was what we were trying to say, Waylon said. All three of the men on the cover had very long hair, beards, and mustaches with Tom Paul wearing a cowboy hat. If you look at it, Waylon has an especially pissed off look in his picture. And in a CMT documentary on the recording of the album, Jesse explained why. The picture was taken at the exact moment that Waylon's lips were shocked by a microphone. (laughs) So so he's partly in pain and partly uh, probably pretty angry. It should be noted that the artist didn't really take the whole outlaw moniker very seriously. Tom Paul actually had 
official outlaw certificates printed up, and he gave them to friends at Hillbilly Central as a joke. Waylon said that aside from smoking weed, the only outlaw thing Willie ever did was double park his bus in downtown Nashville. Yeah. I mean, it, like, let's just take a second to talk about yeah. how awesome Willie actually is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is amazing. The He's man, the man smoked weed on the roof of the White House, like where the snipers are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. And I think awesome. on stage with Snoop at his recent 90th birthday party. <laughs> that, that tracks. If but what like, I read was right. Well, like the thing is, they live in forever now. Right. Uh, Waylon didn't love labels on music, and he continued to argue that since there was actually a band out called The Outlaws, the title might confuse people. He fought it to a point and said that if he had it to do over, he would fight Bradley and the label right up to the point where they might change something because he conceded that it ended up working out pretty well, and that is putting it lightly. Released in January of 1976, Wanted The Outlaws hit number one on the country charts and stayed there for six weeks and actually entered the top 10 of Billboard's all-genre top 200 album chart. Good-Hearted Woman hit number one. Suspicious Minds hit number two. Tom Paul's two songs both hit the country top 40, which were his only two top 40 hits ever. And by November, one of the Outlaws had sold more than one million copies, and it became the first country album in history certified platinum. This is the first one ever? So, booyah. Wow. It sold 1.5 million copies through December, and it sold millions more in the years that followed. Per Jesse, RCA was woefully unprepared for demand of that kind, and were not accustomed to having to manufacture albums by the million. So they actually had to hire tons of additional staff just to press the records. Tom Paul said people of all stripes went out and bought that Outlaws album. Quote, people were so hungry for something different that than what was on the radio that they just ate it up. People who'd never bought a country album in their lives bought that album. Wow. Tom Paul said everything changed after that. The Outlaws were now as big as any rock star in the country. He said that right before the Outlaws album came out, he tried to go to a Nashville restaurant while wearing a cowboy hat and was told he could not enter while wearing it. A few months after it came out, he walked by the same restaurant and said that everyone in the building was wearing a cowboy hat. Waylon said he didn't mind being lumped in with Willie, Billy Joe, Tom Paul, Chris, Shell, and a few others as, quote, outlaws, even though all of them were very different and individuals. And he said this goes back to Hank, who Waylon said died basically alone with no friends or family around in the backseat of a car. Much as he wanted to be like Hank in almost every way, he said that was a secret fear to, quote, die from the cold in the arms of a nightmare, which is a line from my heroes have always been cowboys. Jesus, that's dark. To die from the cold in the arms of a nightmare. Oof. Ooh, yeah. Hey, Waylon, Edgar Allan Poe just called and said that's a little dark for his days. Yeah. Dial it back, man. To quote the Raven, dude, maybe, yeah, maybe Raven, lighten dude. up. Waylon said he was glad to have a solid group of friends. But now he was getting lots of long-lost relatives as well. So it's really not uncommon, but we all know what happens when something in music or pop culture in general gets big and popular in the same way that everyone wore flannel after Nirvana and Pearl Jam hit. Suddenly everyone was wearing Lone Star belt buckles, cowboy hats and carrying around bottles of Jack Daniels. Outlaw had started out with real outlaws. 
people fighting the system to make music their way. Now it was starting to turn into a big bandwagon with lots of posers trying to use it to cash in on a fad. Waylon said lots of these types showed up at Hillbilly Central. He also got a phone call from an artist who had actually been around for a few years and had a couple of hits to his credit, that being Cleveland, Ohio native Johnny Paycheck, who told Waylon, quote, I'm one of yous now, an outlaw. And he used the word yous. Yous. Nice. Then there was another Ohio native, that being a fellow named David Allen Coe. He came to Nashville in the 60s and claimed that he met Mel Tillis, who had a closet full of rhinestone suits that he didn't wear and didn't particularly want. He gave them to Coe, who wore them constantly, and added a mask to his ensemble to make himself the singing character, the mysterious rhinestone cowboy. Coe allegedly lived in a hearse that he parked in front of the Ryman Auditorium, and he busked around Nashville until some of the songs he'd written started to be hits for other artists. He wrote, Would You Lay With Me in a Field of Stone? That was a big hit for Tanya Tucker. And later on wrote, Take This Job and Shove It, which Paycheck had a huge hit with, The Ride, If That Ain't Country, Long-Haired Redneck, and many others. Of course, he also had what most would consider the definitive version of You Never Even Called Me By My Name. Waylon said something about Coe pulled at his heartstrings a bit, but he also found him maddening to deal with at times. They actually met at a club in Nashville, and Waylon actually rode back to Coe's house with him in the hearse to meet Coe's wife and newborn son. He said that Coe spent a lot of time telling him how tough he was, what he was going to do, and asking Waylon why he wasn't doing all those badass things that he was planning. He also talked a lot about being in reform school and then in jail and how he couldn't go to the West Coast because he was on the wrong side of a motorcycle gang and believed that they would kill him. He claimed that he had briefly been on death row after he beat a fellow inmate to death with a mop handle when the guy tried to rape him. Wow. It should be noted that multiple news sources investigated that story and found that while Coe did do about five years in an Ohio state penitentiary, I believe for auto theft and burglary, there was zero evidence to back his death row story. He wrote a song in response to those journalists called I'd Like to Kick the Shit Out of You. Just, oh, by the way. Just, but anyway. Just because, yeah. Yeah, right. Quote, David Whalen said, all your life, you wanted to play the guitar and sing and write songs and make a living. But if you want everybody to know how tough you are, sooner or later, you'll blow it. When Coe protested that he was tough, Whalen said, quote, you've been in prison, David, or at least you say you have. And you know that when you stroll down the aisle between the jail cells, every son of a bitch in there knows whether you're tough or not just by the way you walk or carry yourself. If you have to tell somebody, then you ain't tough enough. Shortly thereafter, co-released a song called Waylon, Willie, and Me, but he also took every opportunity he had to shit on the famous outlaws. He said that Will, uh, Willie and Chris were both sell, uh, sellouts. He took pot shots at Waylon and claimed that he was the only real outlaw in Nashville. And he said that if he ever ran into Glenn Campbell, who, of course, had a song called Rhinestone Cowboy, which was a moniker that Coe had used early in his career, he'd, quote, show him where to shove his GD rhinestones. So Waylon tracked Coe down at a show in Fort Worth, Texas, walked up to him and poked his finger in Coe's chest. Quote, you got to knock that shit off, Waylon said. I ain't never done anything to you. Coe told Waylon, quote, you know I love you, Waylon, and said that he'd been set up to say those things and to... It was, he said he was, you know, lured into uh, a thing where a journalist was trying to pit one artist against another or whatever. Waylon then noticed that Coe had painted his bus black inside and out, just like Waylon. 
He said, though, it was hard to stay mad, David Allen Coe. Whalen was right, though, about how Coe, if he kept up with some of his nonsense, might blow it. Coe, right when he was starting to hit it big, put out a pair of so-called X-rated albums. One was called Nothing Sacred, and the other was called Underground Album, which were only available at his shows and via mail order. They were mainly advertised in the back of biker magazines. They were deemed by a lot of people to be very racist and every other ist that you can name. And both made him sort of persona non grata with a lot of folks, though he did continue to have some hits in the 80s. And I think he still continues to tour to this day. Now, he said the most controversial of those songs, the title of which I can't even say, even on this podcast, he said it was from the perspective of a character. He said some of the other songs were supposed to be parodies or comedy songs and that they were inspired by the album Freakin' at the Freaker's Ball. You know who never did any offensive material, by the way, guys? Who's that? Manfred Mann's Earth Band! Tom McGinnis, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Tom McGinnis, and that was your federally mandated Manfred Mann reference of the podcast. I hope you are satisfied. We are, Tom. We are. Continue. Always are. Always. The only thing I would say about Co, he's a great songwriter, and I do like a lot of his, you know, a lot of his music. Very obviously, I had one of his songs played my wedding reception and made all my groomsmen sing it with me. <laughs> but he and he certainly was really an outsider, but he seemed like a guy who maybe just tried a little too hard to sell that image at times. Mm-hmm. And probably should never have recorded those new albums. We're not really going to discuss those albums. If folks, if you're interested, you can go look them up. But yeah, bad idea, Dave. Just really bad idea. Anyway, speaking of outlaws, Waylon was starting to sink deeper and deeper into his one true outlaw vice at that point, that being cocaine. Now, he actually described in his autobiography that someone at one point convinced him to try smoking crack on one occasion. What? Yeah. He called it one of the absolute worst experiences of his life. He said that his his head was filled with the worst thoughts that he's ever had. And that he mostly just sat in a corner hoping that the feeling would end and that he never did it again. But he kept on snorting powdered cocaine. Apparently where most people would lay out lines and slowly and meticulously snort them, he just shotgunned them. There was no long... It was just... It was gone. He said that he would usually... He called it shotgun, but snort in one pound, like just half a gram of one nostril and then half a gram of the other one, such that someone told him they were shocked that it didn't blow his head off. Because he snorted coke so hard and so fast, though, he said he never had the problems that a lot of cocaine users did with his septum or his sinuses because he was essentially snorting it directly into his lungs. Um, As he roared on for days on end, he was consuming more and more, and more cocaine. And pretty soon, the cocaine would start to consume him. And that, friends, is a very dark place to hit the pause button, but that's where we're going to hit it this week. Thoughts? I would just say that there's there's less breaking stuff than previous episodes. There there was. But more more drugs. So Mm -hmm. um, that's Still making good music, though, so I uh, guess keep that up. And, uh, Some of his best, actually. Yeah, it's still coming, I think, the best music that he's done. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's in the middle of, like I told you, a, a stretch where he's going to put out like 14 gold or platinum albums in eight years. And and this is 
this is really his kind of his I don't want to say golden age because he continued to make some good stuff afterwards, but this he's he's in the pocket right now. He's making some, oh, sure. some fantastic records. I just if you sit there and think about some of these these stories that we tell, they almost don't sound real. Yeah, it's like someone would try really hard to make them up, but they can't. It's this it's, level I of think, nonfiction beats fiction. I, I think I think LD nailed it last in our last episode. It's it's like, is this documentary kind of a thing we're doing or, or are we writing the script to a Hanna-Barbera cartoon? Like is McGill a gorilla going to come bounding in at some point <laughs> or you know, Snagglepuss? I just I just <laughs> exit stage left even um, yeah, this is just, it just seems it's cartoonish. That's a good word to describe it. It's just, it's utterly cartoonish. Totally over the top. Totally yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. I mean, just the, the brief story we told you about Hank stick a loaded gun to Farron Young's head and saying, you're going to give me that girl, boy, or I'm going to blow your head off. And then he drives him around while he uh, and takes then, care of then business. Then yeah. drives him around while, while uh, Hank but, in, in the well, backseat. Will, why can't you do that for me? Uh, what do you want me to do exactly? <laughs> which, well, so which of those yeah. are you supposed to do? The gun or the part in the back seat, or drive you around while somebody else does it? I don't, I'm very unclear on what the purpose is there. Or by um, a bear that died from a cocaine overdose? What are we talking here? We're not there yet. Oh, but I want to be. We'll get there, but boy, yes, we will. Cocaine, cocaine uh, plays a very, very, very large part in the next two episodes. And I'm just going to tell you, you've probably noticed if you're listening, and, I'm, and I hope you're enjoying the series. We haven't. We're not moving the ball much in terms of 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 time here in these episodes, and the next two we won't either. After that, it does start to pick up a bit. But the next two are very cocaine uh, centric. <laughs> like, there's one episode that's literally only about cocaine. That's all it's about. Not next week. The next the episode after that is it's just cocaine. It's one whole episode of cocaine. It is a giant Tony Montana sized mountain of blood. <laughs> so yeah, but that's all I got this week, guys. I'm going to read the socials this week because again we have had the lovely and talented. Lauren Bacall join us to fill in the role of LD. So let's go to our socials, folks. We have those. Yes. And they're fun places to be. So if you enjoy this podcast, you want to interact with us more, I'm going to give you some ways you can do that. First off, there is our desolate Twitter page, Rock and Roll LT. We do have an Instagram. We do have a Facebook, Rock and Roll Heaven Pod, and Rock and Roll Heaven LT for Facebook. We are on the TikTok at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Drop us an email sometime at rockandrollheaven at gmail.com. We have a lot of awesome Pantheon podcasts at www.pantheonpodcast.com. And last but certainly not least, you may enjoy the show. You may feel like, I want to contribute to the show. How can I do that? Well, you can be a Patreon. Patreon.com back slash rock and roll heaven is exactly where you can go to find out how to support your favorite rock and roll heaven podcast and be part of the show as several listeners have done just like our friend uh phoenix red was a couple phoenix weeks red back. yeah absolutely that was great a great episode yeah <laughs> oh oh you know what there's actually something i should have done at the very outset i need to do now real quick i actually have three very quick corrections from a couple of previous episodes retractions when we had our friends from yeah uh-huh on who have a great podcast and you should go listen to them um, as well I talked about Billy Joe Shaver having cut off parts of, well, most most of two fingers and part of another. And Aaron asked us, was it his fret hand or a strum hand? And I said, I believe it was index finger, middle finger, and 
ring finger on his fret hand. I had the fingers right, but the wrong hand. It was actually on his right hand, his strumming hand, which makes mm. a lot more sense. It would if be you really, lose those fingers, you're not playing guitar. <laughs> it would be very, very hard to 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 have fretted with 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 a thumb and a pinky only. Um, <laughs> Two fingers, yeah. <laughs> right. I mentioned several episodes back. I think the one that Admin Thea did with us that Waylon only won one Grammy, and that was for MacArthur Park. <laughs> And we all rude. How could that have been the only song that Waylon won a Grammy for? He he actually that what I read regarding that was actually just wrong. He won one other one, and I believe it was Good Hearted Woman. He and Willie, I think that mm-hmm. won a Grammy. And I said that Billy Joe, and this isn't a correction. This is a, a possible different version that Billy Joe had had a heart attack while he was playing a concert in Green Hall, which is the oldest honky tonk in Texas. And that he, you know, prayed as he did that, you know, thank you, God, for letting me die in the oldest honky tonk in Texas, because he thought, well, this is how my life is supposed to end. But that paramedics came in and you know, he lived. There's a different version that I read that the, there were no paramedics, that Billy Joe had the heart attack, but he just kept playing. Really? Yeah. And that he carried nitroglycerin tablets around in his shirt pocket. And so when he had the chest pains and he, he really he knew he was having a heart attack. He reached, tried to reach in there to grab them and take them, but he'd washed the shirt and they had just turned to powder. So he kind of raked out the powder he could and just just swallowed it as best he could. Ended up going on a brief tour with Kinky Friedman afterwards and only then went and had heart surgery for, I think, three completely, three, com- he, he had three total blockages and one ninety percent blockage or something. <laughs> like, had to have like quadruple bypass or something. Anyway, it was just an alternate version of, of the story that I shared earlier. So I, I wanted to throw that out there in case that's how it actually happened. Although I've now read two different versions of how it happened. So eh, who knows, but that's all I've got pretty much. All right. Well, to wrap this up, I'm not going to say much, but this is a crazy train and I've got my ticket. So I will see you guys next week. I'm going to go take a hot shower and then just die a little. Okay. I love you all. See you next week. You guys wrap the show up. You, <laughs> like 150 episodes you you guys got this hey will yes sir were you as honored as me to have patsy and selma from the simpsons join us it was remarkable i feel like we've been blessed yes thank you thanks thanks for coming by Tell I, hate, we said hello. I hate i hate both of you i do i just it's a burning hate okay well i think she's gonna leave us to our devices now will what would, would you like to uh to bid our uh, listeners adieu well i'd like to say that first of all i think it's a conversation for another time but it's interesting how that rock and roll music stars at that era that we're talking about with Waylon kind of aspired to live fast and die hard. And I feel like now it's a very different approach, sort of, you know, last as long as you can, which is, again, topic for another time. But hopefully you'll join us for another time on the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast. Good night, everyone. It's funny you say that. I want to say in the behind the music on Leonard Skinner, Leon Wilkerson, Ricky Medlock, somebody Said, actually said, Will, and this is the 70s, so same same era that we're dealing with now, that their ethos was live fast, die young, live a good-looking corpse. Yeah, nice. And that kind of seems like, like the, Waylon was, uh, what Waylon was bent on at this point, too. He was with, sure trying, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, definitely. And it, and, it, and, it, and it gets considerably worse in the next couple of weeks. So we'll have that. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us. I guess I'm contractually obligated to say bye, everybody. We're going to leave you with one more song from Waylon. We're actually going to kick it back to the Dream in My Dreams album, which we talked about at the start of this. I love that album. It's neck, it's neck and neck, maybe even a 
maybe a millimeter ahead of Honky Donk Heroes. Those are my two favorite Waylon albums. It's great. If you've never listened to the whole thing, you can actually hear the entire thing for free on YouTube. With you know, <laughs> so that's it's. I mean, the whole thing's there, so you can listen to it. It's 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 fantastic, start to finish. Just it it is it is it was you you can hear the time that was put into it. It wasn't a let's just let's get in the studio and knock this thing out in two or three days. You know, it took a couple of months to do it, but it was well worth it in my opinion. Some great songs on there, great great continuity, great flow. Waylon's voice is in tip top shape. Good, you know, he's playing guitar. You know, his band, the Whalers, is in the studio with him. It sounds different than his earlier recordings. It's a little rougher, but I, I really dig it. So if you have it, you check that out. But we're going to hear one more song from that one. I don't think this one was released as a single, but I, I love it. I love this song. This is Waylon covering his old buddy, Roger Miller. We're going to sign off from Rock and Roll Heaven with I've Been a Long Time Leaving, But I'll Be a Long Time Gone. Good night from Rock and Roll Heaven, everybody. Good night. I've been a fool giving you each time that you've done me wrong I've been a long time leaving but it'll be a long time gone I loved you so much I loved you so much It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.